Hello and welcome to The Resilient Investor with me, David Stevenson. I am thrilled to have with me in this episode, Annabelle Brody-Smith, who's Communications Director at the AIC. Now, for those of you who don't understand the kind of minutiae of funds and markets, there's a big distinction in the world of stock market listed funds between things like exchange-traded funds, or ETFs, which are kind of index-tracking funds, and a venerable British institution, which is the Investment Trust. I suppose you could also hear them called closed-end funds, investment companies, so forth. They're all roughly the same thing. And investment trusts have been around for, well, hundreds of years. Well, I mean, maybe not hundreds and hundreds of years, but <laughs> since the Victorian era. Um, and they, we really do a great job of investment trusts in the UK. And the AIC is effectively the trade body, isn't it, Annabelle, for the for the investment trust, closed-end fund, investment company world. Absolutely, David. I'm delighted to be here. And First of all, I can say that we've actually been around over 155 years. 155. The, yes, the first investment trust at FNC was launched That's in right. 1868. Yeah, yeah. Put it in perspective, 1868. around the same time as the last public hanging took place. Yeah, maybe we won't talk about public because <laughs> I think well, I'd like to bring it back again. I think there, there were more the people at the public hanging, <laughs> hanging than at the launch of the investment trust, but they should have been more excited about the investment trust, obviously. Right, okay. And uh, the, we are the trade association for investment trusts. Right. And uh, we lobby on behalf of the industry. We promote investment trusts. We work with our member directors yep. and their management groups to support them with their investment trusts. Okay, so we're going to talk about a couple of kind of aspects of that, which is about how investors can invest and how they can accumulate quite large amounts of money over a long period of time. And then we're going to talk a little bit about ISA millionaires. Absolutely. No, no ISA billionaires, yeah. But anyway, there we go. Um, only a matter of time. Um, so ISA millionaires. I, I also want to finish by talking at the very end just about all the acronyms that you hear about costs. I mentioned things like ETFs and you hear things like TRs and AMCs and OCFs and oh gosh. And we'll talk a little bit about costs because that's quite interesting and live wire topic. Yeah, and there's a lot of regulatory intervention going on yeah. about that at the moment. And we're doing a lot of lobbying on that issue. Okay. So I think that would be a good thing to cover. Okay, so let's go back. So so 1868, so, you know, none of us were around in 1868. Um, but if you'd have stayed invested in F&C for a long time, for instance, no, so one person could have done it, but maybe a family could have done it, they could have accumulated quite a lot of money. But in one lifetime, you can accumulate quite a lot of money in, in investment trust, can't you? You really can. And the investment trusts have strong long-term performance. Yeah. Um, if I give you an example, over the last five years, the average investment trust is up 89%. Okay. Over 10 years, it's up 157%. Right. And they, you know, if we go back to those first investment trusts, and really that's still you know, the, the whole purpose of investment yeah. trusts is to allow um, investors to invest in a portfolio. It could be a portfolio of equities mm -hmm. like uh, F&C, but it also could be a portfolio of perhaps property, yeah. infrastructure. And property, for instance, would be a REIT, could be a exactly, real estate, real investment, estate trust. investment trust. Yep. Absolutely. And the whole idea is that you're buying that one share and behind that one share is a portfolio. And in many cases, a diversified portfolio. So you're spreading your investment risk. Um, in addition to that, we have a very strong record of when it comes to dividends and paying income. So investment trusts, unlike open-ending funds, 
they don't have to pay out all their income yep, every they year. They can keep some back. They can keep some back yeah. for tough times, up yeah. to 15%. So they, they sort of build up a reserve. Absolutely. They build up a reserve for a rainy day. And as we know in investment, you always know the rainy yeah. day is coming. Yeah, every so year. when the rainy day comes, they can draw on that reserve to boost their dividends. So that's why we've got 20 investment trusts. We call them dividend heroes that have uh, increased their dividend every year consecutively for more than 20 years. And I have to say 10 of those trusts have now increased their dividends every year consecutively for more than 50 years. Wow, 10 for more than 50 years. Absolutely. In fact, last week, Scottish American Investment Company Mm -hmm. was the 10th trust to announce that it had increased its dividends for more than 50 years. So that's hot off the press. Yeah, so so let's let's understand that. So you, you, you... You invest in a diversified basket of equities, a bit like an ETF. Yeah. But the difference with them is is that you uh, have an active fund manager. Am I right? Absolutely. You've got an active fund manager looking after your interests, making your stock selections on your behalf. And also, this is another thing which I don't think people really quite always realise in investment trusts, you can lever up returns, can't you? You can. That's called gearing. Yeah. So what that means is you can borrow to invest. Perhaps a fund manager sees a sector or a stock yeah. which is particularly attractive. Yeah. He doesn't want to sell any of his existing portfolio. He wants to borrow to invest in that stock. And the idea is that the investments will uh, pay for the cost of the borrowing and more on top. And and how often does, how high does the gearing sometimes go? Does it like well, 10, in, 20% of the value what? or something? In, in equity trust, it's normally no more than 20%. Uh, yeah. um, uh, property tends to be yes. the most highly geared sector. And if you think about that, we've all got experience of buying say, a house. We, we all do that because we, we all we've gear got a mortgage. A that is how we buy a house. Property tends to be the most highly so, geared so, sector. Uh, and the idea is it gives the idea is it gives a boost to your performance when returns are strong, but it can act as a drag yeah, when markets right. are poor. So so I'm looking at the differences between kind of, you know, what, what's very popular out there ETFs versus investment trusts, which have long history and also very popular. So you've got active fund manager. You've got um, you've got the ability to be able to build reserves and build up a what we call progressive dividend over Absolutely. time. Absolutely, you've got leverage. Yes. Uh, also, I sus- suspect as well that uh, investment trusts can invest in, or certainly closed end funds or or investment companies can invest in more illiquid stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. Hard, what do we mean by that? Hard to sell. Yeah. Hard to buy and sell. Hard yeah. to trade. That's what the meaning of the liquid is. Yeah. And if we look at the types of assets that are hard to sell, they're things like infrastructure, yeah. renewable energy infrastructure, yeah. property, yeah. unquoted companies. We have a big private yeah. equity sector um, in the investment trust world. And it gives private investors like you and me an opportunity to invest in these types of assets. And the way it works so well in an investment trust, is because the fund manager, it's it's a fixed pool of assets. So what that means in reality is the fund manager can take a long-term view Mm, of the portfolio and they are not forced to sell if if times are tough and, uh, you know, in an open-ended fund, you know, if there's lots of redemptions, lots of people wanting their money back, yes, then you'd have to give them back their money. You have to sell. Whereas the investment trust manager can take a long-term view of that portfolio and wait for the right time to sell. And perhaps when times are tough, they might be investing, they might be gearing to take advantage of those opportunities when prices are low. And we'll, I'll come back to the debate about 
there are some drawbacks, and we'll talk about discounts. So we'll come back to that in costs. But before we do that, I just want to go back to that lifetime ISA kind of sure. idea. Um, so I, I suppose if you start, if for instance, you set, you wanted to set, put aside some money for your kids, for argument's sake, sure. you know, and that, and that would be a time scale of 20, 30, 40 years. That, what you're saying is that that ability to think long term, invest in one fund that could be around for, well, 155 years in one case, but could be around for decades in many cases, that, that's a plus for trying to accumulate large amounts of money. And I suppose another thing which you mentioned earlier was that that dividend issue, because actually if you talk to all the kind of clever pointy head strategists, they'll tell you that if you look at long-term returns, a large element of it is actually the dividend. And the dividend you reinvest back in the business or the fund, as the case may be. So are there many kind of ISA millionaires who invest in investment trusts? Well, there are actually. Okay. And, and uh, Interactive Investor mm. um, did some research and they looked at who is who are their ISA millionaires yeah, yeah. in their customers. And the interesting thing is they were more likely to have investment trusts in their portfolio. Oh, really? So the ISA millionaires were more likely to have them. Now, we did some research um, we looked at if you'd invested the maximum ISA allowance, and ISA is the 25th right. anniversary yeah. of is it ISA. Really? It is oh, on God, April. April 5th. I can still remember PEPs, but anyway. Yeah, and uh, it's the 25th <laughs> anniversary of ISA. And so if you had invested mm. since uh, the maximum ISA allowance since 1999, each year on April the 6th, we've done some research and it shows that you would have 32 investment trusts which would have made you an ISA millionaire, really? really. And interestingly, two of them would have made you more than £2 million. Wow. HD okay. Capital and Allianz Technology would have made you more than £2 million. Now, course. I think I think the story, the thing that I want private investors to take away from this is that, first of all, there are, there's a wide selection. Mm. And a wide number, and to get lots of diversification. Yeah, Yeah. they need a long-term diversified portfolio. And I think what this research says, if you look at the thirty-two companies, they come from different sectors. Um, Well, HG's private equity. HG's private equity. Interestingly, uh, there is a real technology theme, and it's not surprising if we think how Magnificent Seven, etc., how they've performed. There's a really strong technology theme at the top of the list. Mm with four out of five of the top companies having a real technology theme. Mm -hmm. But uh, if you look further down, for example, we have 12 companies from smaller company sectors. So that might be UK smaller company sectors. Which you sort of might expect to be riskier, but more more rewarding. Absolutely. I always like the phrase, elephants don't gallop. No, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, yeah. From little acorns, mighty oaks go as well. Endless. Then we've got other sectors. We've got global trusts. We've got biotech and healthcare trusts, uh, commodity and resources. So there's a really wide selection and they have performed very well over the long term. So it's really a message about getting a long-term diversified portfolio together, sticking with it, and uh, hopefully you will eventually become a nicer millionaire. And interesting, getting rich slowly. Absolutely, which is much better odds than other things that make you a millionaire. Absolutely. Um, uh, um, now, that's interesting, though. So you don't, need, you don't need to be sitting around in an investment trust or investment fund for 50 years. So what you're saying is within our lifetimes – uh, within t- ten to within a couple of decades, you can accumulate. You can. Yeah. You can. You have to invest 
regularly. Yeah, you have to just and keep putting it in. And you have to be patient. And patient, yeah. And when times are tough, you know, for, so for example, uh, we had two technology trusts with a second and third, uh, Allianz Technology, Polar Capital Technology. When times were tough, when we had the tech mm. bust, you know, around you the, just after millennium, you still keep putting yeah. money in. Well, that's the old investment truth, which is just just keep compounding it up. Yeah, and actually when times time are tough. Time in the market, not timing yeah, the market. Yeah, and actually when times are tough, that's when really you should be investing yeah. because the share prices are low. Yeah, and I always uh, I, I was talking to one fund manager and he, was, and he was complaining about how people look at his volatility levels. And he says, don't look at the volatility. Volatility is actually your friend, actually. When markets are volatile, particularly on the downside, that's when you should be putting more money in. Not less. He's absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely. That is absolutely right. Okay, so, and by the way, any idea how many, how we, do we know how many ISA millionaires number-wise are? I'm are, afraid we no. don't know. I'm afraid we don't know. There must be, there must but be a few But to be honest, hundred. if all the platforms, yeah. they could find it out because all they need to do is put Just, the data I'm about to say, put the data together. It must yeah. be at least hundreds, if not oh, probably yeah. thousands. I'm, I think thousands. Yeah, and, and it's thousands. a little, and it's a secret, which I don't think a lot of people realise, but... We're recording this in the city, but if you talk a lot to people in the city who know investment trusts, you'll find out often their portfolios are full of investment trusts, and they just keep jamming money in exactly like you said every month, every you know every year into their ISAs, and yeah. tend to use investment trusts. Yeah, I mean it used to be referred to as the city's best kept secret. Yeah. Now I have been doing my best, best to stop to blow that. open that secret. I want everyone to yeah. be able to invest. But yes, it's absolutely right. It's a lot of professionals in the CC Invest and Investment Trust because of the returns they can get. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's look at. I mean, there there are some there are some challenges though, and one of the challenges that's kicking around at the moment is uh, we'll talk a bit about discounts. Sure. And we'll maybe talk a little bit about costs as well. Sure. Let's talk about discounts first. One of the issues that many people have is that again, I, I deliberately use the comparison between investment trusts and ETFs because they're both listed vehicles. And they are increasingly the, the choice for many people. That, that what, which one do I go for? Now, the the, the thing I suppose with um, so let, let's look at the discount issue. You don't get discount. Well, yeah, it's not technically true. You can get a discount with an ETF, but it, that, it's very very uncommon. Yeah, and they don't tend to trade at a premium. They they tend to trade within a range. That's not true for investment trusts, is it? So you can have some big old discounts when it comes to investment trusts. You can. I mean, recently, actually, last year. The average discount, and maybe I ought to explain what a discount yeah, is. Yeah, explain what a discount is. It's the is, yeah. difference between the share price and the net asset value. Now you're going to ask me what the net, net asset, asset value, value is. Well, what's the total what value? It is, value of it's the things. underlying yeah. value yeah. of the portfolio yeah. of the company. So remember, because they're investment trusts, we trade on stock market. Yeah. You buy and sell on the stock market, you buy and sell at the share price in real time. In yeah. real time. Yeah. But we. We have the ability to value the portfolio mm -hmm. and the net asset value per share is the underlying value mm -hmm. of that portfolio. Now, the difference between the share price and the net asset value, the underlying value of the portfolio, is known as the discount. So I'm just going to give you an example because that makes it a lot easier. Yeah. So say we have an investment trust and the net asset value per share is 100p yeah. and the share price is 90p then we can say that company is trading at a 10% discount. And I think it makes it a lot easier once yeah. you see an example. Occasionally, and we still do have trusts, so occasionally trusts trade at what's called a premium. Yeah. And this is where the share price is higher 
and the net asset value, the underlying value of the shares. So, for example, I'll give you an example on this one. Say you uh, the share price is 100p and the uh, net asset value is 90p. Then the trust is chosen on a 10% premium. Mm. So at the recently, to get back to your question, yes, discounts have been wide. If only they were 10%. <laughs> in well, many cases. In fact, they are currently on average 11% oh, well, they are. across the across industry. The industry right. And they have come in from the end of October when they were particularly high, 16.9%. And if you think of what was going on with the war... Yeah. In the Middle but that, East. But that's, a very, that's an average and there's a lot of variations. Absolutely. There? And it really depends on which sectors we're, we're looking at in terms of where the discounts are. So you need to look at each individual sector. So, for example, lots of private investors are interested in sectors like UK equity income, global, global equity income. Now, the UK equity income and global equity income, because people are still interested in those dividends. And we equity about income that is dividends, exactly. Yeah, right. we talked about those yeah. dividends and those dividend advantages before. Because of that, UK equity income is on a 6% discount. Global equity income is on a 5% discount. They're quite low. Quite low. The global sector, which is, you know, in many cases... And that's all global equities. All big global... And there's a big trust, things like F&C, Witten, Alliance Trust, yeah. big old names... Um, that is actually trading on 11% discount. Yeah, just about the average. Yeah, around the average. And then in the more specialist areas. The alternative kind of The stuff. alternative assets, so UK commercial property, uh, infrastructure, renewable energy infrastructure, that's where the discounts get much wider. You know, UK commercial property is on 20%, mm -hmm. infrastructure is on 20%. Renewable energy infrastructure, on average, on twenty five percent, and and some cases can be much higher, and much higher in I certain mean, it's cases. Not unusual to have 40, 50, 60 percent. It's discount. really not, and I think that's when you're looking at investment trusts. I just think the things you've got to think about is why yeah. is it on a big discount? Yeah. Is it because that sector is very much out of fashion yeah. because interest rates have gone up and the amount of income they're offering is not as attractive as it was before? Yeah. Is it because the fund manager is performing poorly? Yeah. Um, you've got to sort of just actually do a little bit of detective work so and it, think it through. How does the discount on your trust that you're thinking about buying compared to the sector average yeah and if there's a big difference why and it's not always the case that because it's on a big discount it's good value no Sometimes, it's really not necessarily it might, warning be, sign. it might be on a big discount for a very good reason yeah. and therefore it would not make sense to buy it but equally i mean i, I give the example i mean I, I talk about completely exotic weird funds i mean i like a fund called georgia capital which trade which is never i think traded below about 55 percent discount and it invested a former Soviet Union, yeah. And actually, it does really well. I mean, it's actually yeah. got good performance. But no, you know, it's very difficult to sell because everybody hears the words former Soviet Union, frontier markets, private equity. It's just like it's going down a little list of things you don't want to you don't want to invest in. But actually, does really well. So, so it's so it's you've got to your point. Look at the funds. You don't do automatically assume. And uh, you know, for example, private equity yeah. as a sector. It's actually it performed best last year. Actually, yeah. Yeah. clearly, uh, we have a very big trust, Three I, that really shut the lights yeah. out in terms of performance. Sorry, Three I, but isn't that basically a retailer now? 
<laughs> fundamentally, <laughs> I think it is because that's what it is. Action. That's yeah, its well, biggest holding supermarket. By a large margin. Yeah. Anyway, but anyway, fun. but you know, the private equity trusts still some. A lot of them are still trading on you know 20, double 30, digit. 40. Big discounts, yeah. and actually they've performed really well. And if you look at that ISA millionaire list, going back to yeah, it before, well. it's a private equity trust at the top, HG Capital. But there are two other private equity trusts, Pantheon and um, ICG Enterprise, also on that list. Right. So I think you need to do a little bit. And the reason why they're trading on big discounts is private equity is being out of fashion. If yeah. we think about it, interest rates have gone yeah. up. And everybody's worried about the business model exactly. in the world of high interest rates. Exactly. Well. So, exactly. So, so I think the, the message is don't automatically assume a discount is either a good thing or a bad thing. Do your research. Absolutely. Do your research. I mean, actually, a good place to do your research is on the ASC's website. Absolutely. And yeah, of course, we've both got to get our plugs in here. Absolutely. Right. Both I, of those places. Okay. I'm uh, I'm just going to finish off by talking about acronyms and quickly sure. and costs. Sure. There's, uh, when it, one of the other things that, of course, T, uh, ETFs are famous for is they're quite cheap. Yeah. Absolutely. They've got low TER yeah. and total expense ratio. And people think it's cheap. And then they look at investment trusts and they are on average more expensive. Yeah. For many of the reasons that we've mentioned, they've got sure. active fund managers and all that kind of stuff. But can you just walk us through very quickly in the last couple of minutes what all of this terminology means? And and I believe there's a kind of debate kicking around in policy circles about it, isn't there? Because you only really care about these acronyms because they give you numbers. And you only care about the numbers because you compare them. So you compare a a TER on an ETF and you compare a TER an investment trust and one looks worse than the other. So what do the – just quickly spin me through. What do these terms mean? And what's what what's the what's the policy thing we should watch out for? Okay, well, first of all, I'm going to say on your first point about investment trusts looking more expensive. Of course, some of the equity investment trusts yeah. actually might look really very reasonable. Yeah, they might have uh, an ongoing charge. I can explain what that is in a yeah, minute exactly. of around 0.5. But the alternatives, you know, the property yeah. infrastructure, they're going to have higher charges. Yeah. Now. There is a really, what I can only describe as an alphabet soup of anachronisms when it comes to charges. And this is something that the AIC is lobbying on because we want to make it comparable and easy for investors to understand. And at the moment, we've got this, as I said, alphabet soup, which makes it very difficult to understand, very difficult to compare investment company charges and actually unfair in some instances it's just not fair the charges that have been presented so to take you through yep. these uh, alphabet soup yep. uh, you can have for example the AMC the annual management, management charge which is how much you're paying in management fees every year but which isn't everything which is not everything then you will have the ongoing charge and this is actually what is that called the OCF OCF, yep. yes, OCF, because that's they love they love an, they love an love acronym. A, love an acronym. Stick another letter in the so end. the ongoing charge includes the annual management charge, but also, for example, for an investment trust, it's going to include things like the director's fees, mm-hmm. the auditor's fees. Mm-hmm. It's going to continue contain all the ongoing charges mm-hmm. over a year that that trust has mm-hmm. has 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 it has made. Then you've got things like some trusts have performance fees. So performance fees. Performance fees. 
not all trusts, and uh, there's a tendency more for the alternative type trust to have performance fees. And a trend in the equity trust has been for them to be abolished. Yeah, that's Yeah, over the last couple yeah, of years. Not but, common in the equity space. No, yeah. but if you reach a certain benchmark, the idea is that if the manager performs really well. So let's say you use your benchmark, I don't know, the FTSE absolutely. 100. Say or, it's a FTSE 100 and you outperform the FTSE 100. 100 by a specific amount and you've never they normally have what high watermark but you know just basically you've never reached that point yeah. before then they will pay a performance fee on top um then i mean there are other fees that are disclosed so you know you have perhaps transaction fees yeah. so uh the cost of buying and selling yeah. Yeah. uh the, the portfolio yeah. um you know, it really is, as I said, so, an alphabet soup. And our problem with it... Yeah, I was going to say, so what's is, the policy problem? The problem is it's just not fair and it's not comparable. And particularly, uh, for example, wealth managers have been very concerned about this because if they include investment trusts in their portfolios, it's making them look expensive. Right. Because of this... Because, of course, if you're a wealth advisor and you've got a client and you say, the client says, well, how much is it costing me to for you to provide my wealth portfolio they have to include their fees the ifa managers fees then they have to include the fund fees and is that where the problem is the fund fee bit yeah but the problem is they also have to include the fund fees and at the moment way these things are actually disclosed is they're all the fund fees it's called aggregated but they're basically added all up together in one big number and that big number will include things that we've discussed already As well as uh, perhaps if that if if they have a fund or an investment trust that has holdings in other investment trusts or other funds, they will also have that figure included. So you come up with this big number, which is unfortunately meaningless. Right. And they will have to include that in their costs. And, now, and then going back to right to the beginning of the conversation, they compare that with, I don't know, a simple portfolio of ETFs. Exactly. Which is nice and low cost. It just, uh, the client goes, gosh. Exactly. So what we're doing at the moment is lobbying to make what is disclosed much simpler. And perhaps going back to uh, the ongoing charge that we talked about at the beginning, that's really where where we want to see the disclosure is be comparable. And it's also, so that's one thing about what's disclosed, but also how it's disclosed, Um, particularly for those wealth managers. You know, we don't see the value of having this huge figure which is meaningless and actually perhaps they should be just disclosing the ongoing charge in their portfolios okay right okay one to watch out for particularly imagine if you've got an online platform as well absolutely and and actually if you look at the cost disclosure on platforms it is extremely misleading Um, and they will have a scenario set out and that will include all sorts of costs. So, for example, it might include the performance fee, even if the company hasn't actually paid a performance fee. Yeah. So it's pretty meaningless, actually. So there's plenty of meaning of stuff kicking around investment. My favourite kids' documents. But anyway. Oh, we hate those. Yeah, but they're not getting started We've on been those. lobbying hard Another to get rid of acronym. those. <laughs> Another acronym <laughs> which find completely useless. Anyway, Annabelle, thank you very much for giving us the kind of rundown on investment trusts. And I think the proper big message is, is Investment trusts, we're really good at it in the UK. We've got lots of choice, yeah. And and I've always maintained that it's not an I, it's not it's not a zero sum game. You can have both. You can have unit trusts in ETFs and investment trusts. They're all 
all make sense within a portfolio. Yeah. Um, and 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 just just be careful and do your research like always into everything you're investing in. Absolutely, I just think the key message is investment trusts consider them, yeah. and you should include them in your portfolio because they have very strong long term performance. Absolutely, and, and listen, I invest in both investment trusts and ETFs and unit trusts. I, they, they each have their value. Anyway, Annabelle, thank you very much. Thanks and that's so it much, from David. the Resilient Investor. Thank you.